0: Amen. You know, it's amazing when you have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, how that trust grows and how you appreciate all that Christ does in your life and how he can be developing and working in your heart when we just let him. Sometimes the greatest challenge is to keep our mindset to where God is able to work uh, and is free to work, and I hope that all of us, the Lord, will help us to do that on a regular basis. And uh, I appreciate so much the effort of these young men this week and Miss Abby for putting up with all of it and kind of probably behind the scenes making everything go and keeping everybody in line. Uh, You know, the, the kids get busy talking. I'm not talking about these young guys calling them kids. I'm talking about their little children get busy talking and having conversations, and Brother Bobby's running around the auditorium and uh, just out of control, and she comes in and sets a tone, I'm telling you, I mean, she's got it under control, making it happen, uh, and so, but I love their ministry. I remember when it started uh, in, <clears throat> in the early 80s, uh, and so, and Brother Jim Van Gelderen, and um, I think, I don't know if, if the team that I traveled with when I was 16 was the first one that ever went out on the road uh, for Market Manor Baptist Church in Downers Grove, Illinois, but I think it was And so, and I, you you just never know what you're going to get into when you're in a team like that and you're traveling. I remember on that trip we went to Hagerstown, Maryland, uh, and so and when had a great week there. uh, And I remember just as a 16-year-old kid thinking, "Man, this is a beautiful countryside." I didn't know I would be stationed there uh, whenever I was in the military. Several years later, uh, and that and and actually visited the same church as as when I was in the service and. Uh, And then we left there and went to Queens, New York, in the inner city of New York City, just inside of Shea Stadium. And I'm noticing when I'm walking down the street, just a 16-year-old kid, and I'm with one of the college guys there. And uh, and we're walking down, and we pull up in the van and go in. Of course, everybody's kind of looking and seeing what's going on. And uh, I notice whenever people get home from work, they're opening their hoods, and they're pulling the batteries out of their car. Uh, And then, literally, and then we're walking down the street, and they've got these big, heavy chains. I'm not talking about just like a little... Uh, chain that you put your Chihuahua on. I'm talking about like the big heavy-duty industrial-strength Pitbull chains. Uh, and so they're wrapped around the brake pedal up to the steering wheel, kind of like a club would do, but it's they're, they're, they're as tight as they can get them and padlocked together. Uh, and I found out, we found out the next morning why. When we went out the next morning where our van had been, there was a pile of glass in an empty spot. Uh, And so nothing in New York lasts overnight if it's on wheels, and so that's the old saying. Uh, And so I I went there, actually, I, I dug an old sweatshirt out this week that says New York on it, and uh, and I was walking around the neighborhood and it's 20 years old and 20 years ago was the last time that I went to New York City uh, and so I picked it up there. It's, it's kind of a shame. It's a little embarrassed. My wife would be in trouble with my wife when she found out that I confess I still have a sweatshirt that I wear that's 20 years old. Uh, and so, uh, but I dug it out and it said New York and maybe just kind of think about with them coming that time and, uh, and how God's used it for all of these years to see young people come to Christ. Uh, to see Christian school kids be revived and to have their hearts spoken to and so I appreciate their willingness to sacrifice to travel year in and year out and these young men to sacrifice a semester of their college training uh, and kind of put things on hold as they go out uh, and just see God working in their heart and in their life and so it's just amazing to see young people come to Christ. You know. Uh, We kind of get in the mindset sometimes that it's just impossible to reach people with the gospel. Uh, And certainly the knowledge that people have, base knowledge of their need of a Savior and what sin even is anymore, has definitely changed over the years. And it's it's as we've learned, oftentimes you have to start with the Garden of Eden for people to even begin to understand their need of a Savior. And so, but uh, when the gospel is clearly presented, and Jesus is lifted up he draws people to himself and so we appreciate their sacrifice if you would take your Bibles this morning turn to Ephesians chapter 4 we're going to look at the first 25 verses here this morning of Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue building on our theme of reaching out we want to be a church it's all about discipleship about reaching people with the gospel and not just seeing them trust christ and baptize, but actually growing in their faith and being equipped uh, to develop that relationship with the lord jesus to be developing you know and what we found is that many christians have never had that training there are a lot of people that have been saved in some cases for decades that have never been taught basic fundamental truths uh, of biblical doctrine. I, I, am never, I never cease to be amazed when I travel and sometimes even talk to people uh, that I've known for virtually all of my life that have been saved and faithful to attend church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, in some cases for 40 years, the simplicity of the questions that can be asked, things that, uh, that, that really should have been taught and should have be, be second nature you know, 35 years ago, not still wondering and not putting things together. And so we want to be diligent uh, about helping people not just know who Jesus is, but know what uh, Jesus wants us to know and how we're to live and how we're to reach (coughs) others. And so our theme this year of reaching out is to build upon that concept. Uh, And so we're going to build on that this morning. And so we'll review just a bit uh, and then we'll jump into this morning's message. So Ephesians chapter number four. And beginning here in verse number one. The Apostle Paul writing here to the church at Ephesus, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descendeth is the same also that ascendeth up far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, "...from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by, that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness or unbridled lust, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, habits of life, the old man, ...which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. I want to speak this morning on the concept and the idea of reaching out, that we are to reach out to build personal relationships... Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not leave us in our sin, but that you sought us where we are, where we were. Lord, you left heaven's glory. You came miraculously to this earth. You walked amongst us. You bore our sin willingly on the cross. You paid the ransom for God's people. Lord, you gave us new life. As we were birthed into your family and our spirit was made alive again by the working of the Holy Spirit when we put our faith and trust in you. And Lord, that was not to be the end, but merely the beginning. I pray this morning that you would help us to realize that once we trusted Jesus as our Savior, that that was not the end of our Christian relationship, but it was the beginning, not just of hope of heaven but of a life that makes a difference and matters amongst our church brethren and amongst the lost world around us. Lord, may we understand this morning, by the time that we leave, that we need to be devoted to building a relationship with you. That we need to be working at building a relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to extend and build relationships with those that are lost that so we might show him, show them Jesus. Lord, help us to see these things this morning. Help us to embrace this biblical truth, this mandate that you've given in your word throughout, that we are to be significant in our work and our reaching of the lost. Lord, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus name and amen. As we began this just a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago, we began with a concept that we need to reach out to God for personal revival. The, the, The Christian life is nothing if it's not personal. If I don't understand that concept, That everything about the Christian life is personal then I'm not going to get very far in my growth and grace why because no one else can be saved for me it's personal Jesus is my personal Savior as he is your personal Savior is he the Savior of mankind yes but unless I make it personal it doesn't do me any good And so when I understand the concept that what Jesus wants to do in my life, he does on a personal level, that that's not limited to salvation, but that is everyday Christian life. He did not save me and say, I'm your God and your Savior from a distance. He said, I'm your God and your Savior every day, up close and personal in your life. Uh, And so I need to understand that this morning corporate or institutional national revival does not begin on a large scale it begins in an individual heart whenever you look back and you understand and study revival history what you'll find is that an individual was stirred and sparked and their influence and their passion and their fire for God touched those around them and it grew into a smaller group and then a larger group and then extended to a church and to a region and then to a national awakening. God does not generally start things in, uh, on a uh, where everyone just in mass responds. It takes an individual heart responding to the work of the Holy Spirit of God in their life to. To compel others so that others can see what God is seeking to do and so we started by understanding that if I would be reaching out that I must be revived in myself we had a church member I believe on yesterday uh, and maybe it was on Friday that broke down coming home from work over in the Beaumont or Port Arthur area and I think uh, a brother Don and, uh, and Gabriel and some others went to go and rescue him well when the call came and they responded if they had jumped in their cars and left without the without the things that were needed for whatever the problem was or to retrieve the vehicle and they drove an hour to where he perhaps was and said hey brother uh, we heard that you needed us and uh, we we love you in Christ and we're here what's the problem and he said well I told you what the problem was you know what the problem is uh, I need to fix this thing I need uh And I don't know what the problem was. I need some gas or I need a tire change. And they came to change a tire. There's no spare and there's no jack and there's no uh, lug wrench. Or they came to gas and they have an empty can or they have no can at all. And they drove all that way and they made all that effort to get there. And when they get there and they pull up on the side of the road, they can do absolutely nothing to help them. That's the way most Christians go about the Christian life we want to reach out, we want to love the lost, we want to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to be difference makers in their life, but the the sad fact of the matter is, is that our own personal experience with Christ oftentimes is so empty and so shallow or so bankrupt and spent up, used up, unfilled, that when we come alongside in the compassion of our heart and the love for our brothers and say, hey, uh, can I encourage you, can I help you, can I be of assistance to you, and they look and express what the need is, we have to honestly say, I can pray for you, but that's all I can do because I don't have anything inside of me that's going to meet the need that you have. Yeah. That's an unrevived Christian life. And so many times we go through the Christian life and we are so uh, disconnected from the personal aspect of our relationship with Christ. Yes, we love him. Yes, we worship him. Yes, we attend church services. Uh, and we uh, and we go through all of the motions and the rigors of the Christian life, but we don't spend any time with him during the week and we don't feed our soul and we don't learn what it is truly to worship and to worship personally and individually. And we don't really spend time, oh, we, we pray, but our prayer goes something like, Like this, Lord, would you help me today, Lord? And can I talk to you today, Lord? And would you meet this need, Lord? And if you remove the name of of God in our prayer life, Lord, our prayer time would be shrunk by about 75%. No one would have a conversation like that. I'm not going to go to Brother Don uh, after church to say, "Say, you know, Don, I saw you at the uh, at the Don at the, at the war last night, Don, and, uh, and I I saw you bringing in the speakers, Don, uh, and setting them up, Don, in the uh, in the fellowship hall, Don, and I I saw you standing in the back cheering people on, Don, and then I saw you, Don, this morning on driving the van, Don, and I even saw you push the button to open Don uh, to open the door, Don, and uh, that's the way we pray. Uh, we can't have a conversation with God. Listen, the Christian life should be so personal and so connected to God that your conversation and your prayer with God should be so fluid that it's just like a conversation with your closest friend. The, the name, do I want to acknowledge him? Absolutely, I want to acknowledge him. That's the way the Lord taught us to pray. But I need my soul and I need my spirit to be revived. I need to be filled with God's power and God's presence. I need my walk with him to be genuine and to be real and to be sincere. I need to be knowing that God is working in my heart and in my life so that when someone calls me and says, Pastor, can you pray for me? Uh, I'm not praying from a position of being bankrupt. I don't want to have to say, well, give me a minute so that I can go and make some contact and get some filled up by the Spirit. Somebody calls and says, hey, uh, you know, I'm broke down on the side of the road, Brother Buck, and I really just need 20 bucks to get to the next point. And you say, okay, I'll be there as soon as I can, but I got to run across town to the ATM first. When it comes to the Christian life, we should be revived enough and filled enough by the power of God that whenever basic necessities of life, opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to encourage, opportunities to share the love of Christ, we should have enough in the tank to give. And I wonder this morning how many of us have experienced a reviving in our heart and in our life where God has come to us and made us alive Again, not in the sense as a Christian in salvation, obviously, but as my Christian life essentially dead this morning. And and look at your own heart. Look at your own life. Is your Christian life this morning vibrant? Is your Christian life an inspiration to your neighbors? Is your Christian life drawing people's attention away from you and to Christ as you go through your work week? How does my uh, walk with God and my empowerment, my God, and my love for God impacting those around me? The bottom line is, is that there are Christians all over the world today that are sitting in church services just like this, and including this one, that are flatlined spiritually, that are laid out on the floor, waiting for someone that has enough of God in their heart that's alive and working and that's that's healthy enough and strong enough to come and to provide some CPR on them and to breathe back into the and be back into to them, the uh, the breath of the Christian life, so that their life can make a difference for God. That's personal. Hey, listen. If uh, if Brother Matthew fell out in the floor this morning and uh, and uh, and he's laying there and he needs someone to come and perform CPR, Brother Paul's a firefighter. He's going to jump up and he's going to run to his aid, but he's not going to jump up and uh, and start per- and knock Kazine down uh, and say, "Hey, Kazine, lay here this way so I can do CPR on you." He's still breathing. He doesn't need it. It's necessary for the one who's in need. What I'm saying is is that it's personal. Revival is personal. I don't need to, it's not wrong for me to pray for God to bring a national revival. And it's not wrong for me to pray for God to to revive my church. It's not wrong for me to pray that God will bring revival in my class. But I need to start saying God revive me. Are we hungry and desperate for God? Listen, revival is personal and it comes to the person who is in need. Well, pastor, I'm not in need. Well, according to our text this morning, some having understanding dark and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Are we blinded to the fact that we have a need? If you wonder whether you have a need or not, just ask your spouse they'll tell you. Ask a sibling, young people. They'll tell you. And what I'm saying this morning is this, is that revival starts with the individual. Revival cannot be planned. It cannot be scheduled. It cannot be demanded oh certainly we have the ability to go to God and to request that he revive us but we can't go to God and demand God you must revive me God doesn't work on our timetable God brings revival when he chooses to bring revival what I can do is say God I am setting myself aside I am sanctifying myself today for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us Now, how many times do we see God moving uh, where the people set themselves aside and cried out to God, God, would you move? And when God was ready, he moved. Revival comes as a movement of God, but it begins in the heart and spreads as God is sought desperately by his people. So we start this month asking God, (coughs) would you revive me? So that your reviving work in my heart would inspire those close to me. So that your reviving heart in my work would cause them to catch a glimpse of what it's like to have a true, genuine, loving fellowship relationship with my Savior. We talked then last week about once we are revived that we must be renewed. We must reach out to God for renewal. What do you mean, Pastor? If I'm revived, am I not removed? It the end of World War II in 1945, whenever the Allied forces were moving across and, uh, and kind of rushing across Germany there at the end in the, in the spring, late winter, early spring, they ran across the concentration camps. The concentration camps were liberated immediately. And the people that were found there were, in a sense, revived. For the first time since their incarceration, they had hope. There was a reason to believe that they might survive. There was a reason to believe that someone cared. There was a reason to believe that their life could be restored. There was a reason to believe that life could be worth living. My friends, whenever Jesus Christ saved my soul, whenever I was a backslidden Christian away from God, Jesus Christ began to convict my heart and the Holy Spirit began to work. What I could say is, is that in that moment when revival came and my heart surrendered and I accepted Christ and I got my life right with the Lord on an altar, that there was a moment and a time when the Spirit moved in and my heart was revived and hope was restored and uh, all of those things took place, but there was still a fragile, frail, anemic Christian, or a brand new infant that couldn't even hold its own head up, let alone feed itself, let alone tend to itself. And my point is this, is that once we've trusted Christ, once God has spoken to our heart, once my soul is revived, that it must be renewed. That there must be a strengthening when our troops found uh those when the allied forces found those those people in the camps they had to carefully begin to feed them they could not just give them all that they wanted all at once they uh they uh they could not uh treat them as if they were fit and ready to go out and to live life many of them were frail many of them were barely able to walk some of them couldn't walk some of them uh, needed to be fed by someone else and others uh barely could lift a spoon or a fork and, uh, and many of them had to be slowly nourished back to health. Weight loss uh, was traumatic and that weight, loss had to, uh, weight gain had to be managed so that it was healthy and so that they uh, could live healthy lives and that they could uh, be productive. And what I'm saying this morning is if you've been fortunate enough, for God to speak to your heart, and you've been wise enough to commit your life to him and to surrender your heart for him, understand that that reviving is a miracle from God, but it's not enough. And it will not be sustained until your heart and until your life is renewed by the empowerment of the Spirit of God. It is feeding on His Word. It is drawing from His strength. It is drinking in His Word. It is nourishing your soul. It is learning what it's like to stand up and to be counted for God by God and to have His empowerment placed upon your head. Listen, if we go out into the world and say, hey, I've got good news for you. I've got a gospel for you that I do not live and I have a gospel for you that I anemically perform and you've got to have it because it will keep you out of hell. There is no reason for them to be drawn to that. But a Christian that's empowered, a Christian that is strong, a Christian that is glorifying Christ, a Christian that is is revived and encouraging and and thriving, is a Christian that can go out and say, listen, I see that you're struggling with this. I've got some good news for you. There is a God that loves you and he can help you like he helped me. There's a God that can save you like he saved me. And I'm not better than you. I'm just like you. And I was just the same. And I had all the same heartache and I had all the same problems and I had all the same uh, that things to despair about but the spirit of God moved in my heart and my life and built me and strengthened me and rose me up and God has used me and I'm here now with a compassionate heart to tell you that if you would trust Jesus Christ as your savior that he'll forgive your sin and he'll save your soul from hell and he's not going to leave you there he's going to strengthen you and gift you and empower you to live a life for God that matters Amen. that's what God wants to do in your life renewal is rehabbing and strengthening after a time of trauma. Renewal is recommitting my life to God. Renewal (coughs) is a fresh anointing and empowerment from God that I might be able to do what God has called me to do. Today we want to see that once I have been revived and once I have been renewed, now it's time to build relationships. Now it's time to look outside of self and outside of uh, just focusing on my relationship with God and letting the Spirit of God working through me reach out and build relationships with others. Why? Because now I have something to offer. Because now I can be of assistance. Because now God can use what he's done in my life to help the life of someone else. And so as we see that we have been revived and that we've recommitted ourselves to God, that we've received a fresh anointing from on high, that my life is renewed and my heart and my life have been renewed to God and committed to God, it's time to reach out and build relationships. Where do I want to build those relationships? Listen, why and why? What's so important about building relationships? Well, relationships is how God works in our life to build companionship and strength. We draw strength from one another. We need companionship with one another. Most people won't thrive for very long if they're alone and isolated. Listen, I love to be alone and isolated, but enough is enough. After a while, I, I'm, I'm like, "Hey, where is everybody?" Uh, and so, I mean, uh, my wife and I. Next in just a couple of weeks, will be 33 years since we uh, since we got married. And. And if I go out of town for a few days, uh, she'll never admit it. But when I'm going out of town for a, for a few days, she's pretty excited about that. I have no problems admitting she's going to go out of town for a couple of days, I'm like, have a great time. I'm going to. And so I get to watch John Wayne. I, I, get, to, uh, I get to, you know, do some things that, uh, but I tell you what, uh, if she's gone the first day, the second day, uh, I'm just kind of eating what I want to eat and doing what I want to do. But by the third day, I'm like, when are you coming home? Enough's enough already. Uh, you know, it's like uh, the, the kids all come over, the grandkids all come over, and they, they come and they hang out. And I'm like, uh, okay, after a while, I'm like, okay, you've you been here for a while. When are you going home? And then if they haven't been around in a few days, I'm like, when are you coming back? We like our space. Listen, I, I'm, I'm that guy that, uh, in my mind at least, if I was ever put in prison for a long period of time and was completely isolated 24 hours a day for the rest of my life, I think I might thrive in that environment it's my personality type but i've learned over the years that you know that that that's good for a couple of days after that i i need some fellowship. I need some companionship. I need, uh, I need to, dr- to draw some strength. I need to give some strength. I need to be encouraged. I need to give some encouragement. I need to be rebuked. I need to, <coughs> to uh, you know, admonish it whenever that's necessary. What I'm saying is that relationships in our life is what God uses to give us companionship to the nourishing of our soul and to strengthen us in times of weakness. We need relationships. Yes. We need them. Whether we think we do or not, we need them. Relationships give us inspiration and direction. I'm a pastor today because God put specific people in my life at critical moments in my life that inspired me to do something different with my life than than what I witnessed from previous generations in my family. Uh, I uh, have different things at different times in my life where I could look and say that person's influence, that person's sacrifice, that person's kindness, that person lending me strength, that person uh, giving me uh, encouragement made a difference and inspired my life and gave me direction, a direction to pursue a path that was worth following. And sometimes... Those can be very positive influences in your life, but if you don't have the right relationships in your life, then they can be devastating. I talked to a young man this week who's now in his mid-30s, who when I last saw him probably was about 14 or 15 years old. Uh, it was uh, just over 20 years ago when I, was, uh, when I was leaving my position to directing a boy's home in East Tennessee and, uh, and uh, went to Pastor. It's the last time I saw him, it's the last time I talked to him, it's the last time I heard from him. Until this week, he sent a message to the church. I don't know how he found me, how he tracked me down. He just shared with me what had been going on in his life and that he was trying to get his life back in order and trying to get back on track serving God. And it's amazing how uh, I could look back at some of the decisions he made. And you know, some of the bad decisions that I made in my life influenced him to follow the same path. But the good things that we try to teach him now, are directing and influencing him back. And praise God for that. I'm saying relationships give inspiration and direction and it's important that I have the right relationships in my life because if I don't have the right relationships, the direction and the inspiration is going to be destructive. Relationships edify us. Relationships, if they're the right kind, can admonish us whenever we need to be corrected. So I'm going to look at three primary ideas here this morning about relationships and their importance in our life. I need to be reaching out and building these relationships in my life. And the first one, of course, we have to start with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be engulfed in a personal relationship with Jesus. I want my entire existence to be engulfed in my relationship with Christ. Once in a while in the summer, we'll go down to Follett's Island. and <clears throat> It's just the island decks down from, <clears throat> from Galveston. And so we'll drive the extra 30 minutes or so to get away from crowds and to find an isolated spot and Pay pay the toll at the toll bridge and turn out and you can drive all the way to Sunnyside Beach down uh, in Freeport. You can just drive on the beach right alongside the ocean all that way, uh, and we'll we'll go down that way and we'll. Take a grill, and sometimes we'll take volleyball net and things like that, and just have a good time as a family down there. Sometimes just Sonia and I. Sometimes extended family will go, and uh, and we'll get out in the water. And we get out in the water. Uh, if you're if you're there for very long, or if you get out very deep, and they generally don't get out very deep. I, you know how Galveston in that area down there is. One minute you're in ankle deep water, and the next minute it's at your neck, and you go out another hundred yards, and it's at your waist, and it's just constantly it's up and down all the time. But, it, but I can get out there and, and turn my back and look back toward the beach and all of a sudden a bigger swell comes in and I'm completely engulfed and it locked me off my feet. It's engulfed me. I need my entire life to be engulfed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I want my life and the relationship that I have with him to be engulfed. I want you to notice verse five and six in our text this morning. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So when we talk about our, the context of the Christian life and what Paul is communicating here to the church is he's talking about the body of believers, how that body works together. Some parts of the body are, <clears throat> all parts of the body are necessary. All parts of the body form a function. Uh, some parts of the body you can live without. Some parts of the body you can't live without some parts uh, it's a minor inconvenience some parts it's not even really noticeable I've lived without tonsil for nearly 50 years uh, I've never even really noticed that they were gone after once uh, I was healed from that people can live for a lifetime <coughs> really and not under not really miss a, a spleen or an appendix though uh, there are some illnesses and things that will be more frequent without those organs in your body but listen if I were to uh, have lost a limb, that would be a lot more noticeable. It would be a lot more handicapping. And sometimes a church and its ministry is handicapped by the lack of development of certain believers within the body. Sometimes people will fall by the wayside or will die and they'll be gone. We have people that live without a uh, uh, part of a finger or uh, all of a finger. We've got uh, you know people that have uh, lost other internal organs that are not as significant some uh, have uh, have lost uh, suffered strokes and lost brain capacity and motor skills and things in which their communication abilities are uh, are hindered or their mobility is, is hindered uh, because of uh, that event in their life what I'm saying is is that God, the Apostle Paul here equates the body of Christ the, in the assembly of the local church to a body we all have a role to play we all fit together jointly fit Together, we all uh, have a, a, a role and a, a desire. Some people they'll never give their heart to Christ. They're past feeling. They can't get over what's happened to them behind uh, and and forgive or to move past it. They just they're they're crippled in their spiritual life. And uh, if they get sour or if they get backslidden or if they depart, their departure may not be as noticeable. Uh, and it may not. It may even be something that uh, it was a cancerous relationship within the church, and it needed to be uh, by the Lord removed and pulled out so that the whole can be healthy again and that purging takes place and God does that at other times That may be uh, someone that's like a a massive amputation where it leaves a huge void and it cripples the ability of uh, of ministry to go forward for a considerable amount of time or maybe even for the rest of the life of the ministry I'm just saying this morning uh, that we all have a vital role to play and the closer I walk to God and the more I grow in strength and in faith and in the grace of God the more vital my role becomes but we all have a role to play and I want that life that role in my life to be engulfed in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ this is much more than salvation this isn't just about giving my heart to him in salvation this is involving every relationships in in my life and in fact I would say it this way every relationships in my life must be driven by my relationship with Christ. I don't have and should not have any relationship in my life whatsoever that is not defined in the context of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. My marriage is governed by my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. My parenting as a father of four is defined by my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. My interaction with church members, with my neighbors that don't know Christ... All of it is defined and driven by my relationship with Christ. I don't have a non-Christian relationship uh, with neighbors on my street or with uh, people that I see out in uh, the community or in, my, in, in, the, in the store that I run across or with church members. There is one relationship that is never changing, that is, uh, that is unnegotiable, and that's a relationship with the Savior. And we should be allowing our relationship with Christ... To define every relationship that we have in life, a couple of thoughts about this this morning, and as to why: one Lord, one faith, one baptism, <clears throat> one God and Father of all. I would say, first of all, He is our Father. Amen. Why should He have so much power, so much influence, so much? Th- He's my Father. He is God. And what I would say as my father is just a, f- a few observations here uh, and we don't have time this morning to turn to these references so I'm going to ask, ask you to jot them down and to go take a look at them. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 21 tells us that he is our example in all things. He has given us an example in suffering and living and how to live. And, uh, and so as my father he's my example. Jesus Christ is my example. I don't want to follow the example of someone else's father. I don't want to follow the example of the God of this world. I don't want to follow the example of some uh, celebrity that's chasing a dollar and just wants a following, or some politician that just wants to hang on to power. I want to follow the example of my Father in heaven. He's our example. Secondly, as my father, he's my provider. Matthew chapter six and verse 33. "If we seek Him first in all of these things, all the necessities of life will be added unto us. I, he's my provider. Listen, I'm not, dependent upon, uh, I'm not dependent upon the world to provide for me. I'm dependent upon my Father to provide for me. And as a Father provides for His children, so our Heavenly Father provides for us. As my Father, thirdly, I would say He's my protector. One of the first things instinctively that we do as fathers, especially whenever our children are small, is, is, is we protect them. We protect them from themselves. We protect them uh, from their siblings. We protect them uh, from uh, the dangers that are without, whether it be uh, uh, you know someone that intends harm or whether it's something that's just, uh, just this you know they're just careless about or don't understand uh, can hurt them. Uh, they we we are protecting why because it's in our nature to protect. What is the first thing? <coughs> my wife and I are out, if we're canvassing or knocking on doors, or if we're walking through the neighborhood, uh, she's she is desperately afraid of dogs. I mean. It could be a picture of a dog with barking sounds and she'd be climbing a tree. Uh, I mean, She's terrified of dogs. Uh, And so if there's a dog that comes out and we see it, if it doesn't matter if we're just casually walking or where we are, it doesn't even really matter if it's on a leash. The first thing that I do if I see a dog in the distance is position myself between her and the dog. And it's the same thing with our children. Why? Because we love them and we want to protect them. We want to intervene. If if we're in a store somewhere and we see someone uh, that looks threatening... I position myself between the, one, the loved one that I'm with and them. Why? Uh, because I, if something's going to happen, I want it to start here. It's just our nature, and it's the natural nature of a loving relationship uh, that we would uh, put ourselves in, that we would protect. Listen, God is our protector. God is our provider. God uh, is our example. We see in, in John chapter 14 and verse 26 that he's also in the form of the Holy Spirit, our teacher. Our fathers teach us. They teach us how to live. They teach us values. They teach us how to, uh, to learn. And uh, they teach us how uh, to uh, do things in, uh, in life. And so uh, our father is our teacher. God is our teacher. I would say fifthly, before we move on to the second thing here, uh, under being engulfed in a personal relationship with Christ, is that he's our compass. He's our guide. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 16 and verse 13 that the Holy Spirit is our guide. He wants to guide you. What a a tragedy it is whenever whenever our children reach adulthood, if they reach adulthood and they no longer want the guidance of of their father and their family. God help us to not be Christian people that get to a point where we think we've reached a state of spiritual maturity and say, God, I've got it all figured out now. I don't need your guidance anymore. But yet we live that way. Listen, this morning, I want to be engulfed in a personal relationship with Jesus because he's my father. I want to be engulfed also because he's our friend. He's not just my father, he's my friend. He's he's that one, and he told us in John 15, I've not called you servants, I've called you friend. You're my friends. I want to share with you what I want to do. And we see as our friend that he's, just four thoughts here about him being our friend. Number one, he's truthful. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, we we understand, I am the way, the truth, and he is the truth. We understand that Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, that God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. What God has promised, he's he's incapable of lying. What a friend. He's truthful. Listen, that person that that, that comes to you and says uh, that they're they're just echo what you want to hear, they're not your friend. When you're doing wrong, when you're engaged in unhealthy behavior and relationships and they come alongside and they say, just do what you want to do, it'll be okay. That one that comes and says, just, uh, just you don't have to listen to them anymore. Uh, that one that comes and just encourages you to betray those that have loved you and sacrificed for you and to just take it all on your own and do what you want to do, however you want to do it. They're not your friend, they're your enemy. Masquerading as a friend. Why? Because they're not telling you the truth a friend will tell you the truth. Listen, and we got people in our churches, as every church does, that you have relationships that you that you brand as a friendship that are going to destroy the relationships within your family. They're going to destroy your relationship with God. They're going to destroy your relationship with other Christians. And you're going to express loyalty to that person that manipulates and deceives you rather than being loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying this morning that as my friend, he loves me enough to not tell me what I want to hear but to tell me the truth and someone that won't tell you the truth is not your friend I don't care how friendly they are well they've always got my back no they don't have your back they're lining you up and positioning you so someone can stick a knife in your back a friend is truthful and Jesus is my friend he is incapable of anything but truth secondly I would say he's our companion what a wonderful thing it is to have a friend that's truthful, that's honest, that's a companion. That's with me wherever I go. That, that, that wants me to go with him wherever he goes. Uh, that, is, uh, that is willing to walk alongside. Thirdly, I would say that as my friend, he's my interventionist. A real friend intervenes whenever you're messing up. They don't just stand by and watch idly as you go down a bad trail. A real friend steps in and makes a difference. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 6 and 7 tell us about how as our father he chastens us. How he corrects us. And as as the body of Christ how we admonish one another. How we are to edify one another. He is our interventionist. Fourthly I would say that he's our strength. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us how we draw strength from him. Draw strength from your friend Jesus. Be engulfed in a personal relationship with Jesus. When I'm revived, when I'm renewed, and when I build my relationship with Jesus, then and only then am I capable of going out and beginning to build relationships with other believers. Now I'm going to have some relationships that are going to help me grow and that are going to help me develop, but now I've got something to contribute. Be embraced By personal relationships with other, be embracing personal relationships with other believers. Listen, you need to have relationships with other believers in Christ. You need to have relationships with other church members. Listen, my interaction outside of family is with other people, outside of trying to share the gospel. If it's not with someone within the church, it's non-existent. Life is short. I'm busy. I don't have time for a lot of frivolous, meaningless relationships. I want to have relationships that are meaningful. I want to have relationships that are substantive. My relationship with Christ must be substantive. My relationship with you as a church member and your pastor must be substantive. If it's frivolous, our, our relationship is going to be limited to me trying to be there to help what you need when you need it uh, or to intervene and fulfill my role as a pastor. But if you want a close Uh, If you want to really get to know, it needs to be substantive. Do you really hunger for God? Are you thirsty for what God has you to do? Do you want to devote your life? Why? Because I I, quite honestly, even though we're a small church, I, I don't have time to just go hang out with 130 people. And have time for my wife and my family. And have time with my relationship with the Lord. Do you want relationship with people in the church? Well, of course I do. Just like you should. I'm just saying this morning that their relationship must be substantive. I'm not saying that every minute of the day that we, we sit down it has to be about spiritual or biblical topics. I'm just saying be real. Be genuine. Don't be fake and artificial. The world rejects fake artificial Christians and so do genuine Christians. Why? Because it's a time waster. It's a strength stealer. It's a drain. Listen, I, I, you, you don't need me to be a drain on your Christian life. You, you spend time with people that encourage you, that build you, that strengthen you, that inspire you. Be embracing relationships within the body of Christ. Why? Because we need to, I need to build relationships of encouragement. You need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged. As our brothers and sisters in Christ, as the body jointly formed and fitted together, we need to have a ministry of encouragement one to another. And listen, encouragement is not saying that you're doing right when you're doing wrong. Encouragement is coming alongside and helping you and inspiring you and sometimes saying, hey, uh, if you keep going down this road, it's going to get a bad result. How do you know? I'm not because if you if you successfully navigate that road, you'll be the first person in history to go down that direction and not end up with that result. Uh, Years ago, there was a Bible college near us uh, that was thriving and the 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 pastor and leadership of the school decided that they were going to make a hard turn another direction. And one of the board members that was a local pastor here in the Houston area looked at him and said, If you go down that road, you'll be the first school in the history of Christian colleges that have gone down that road and made that decision that didn't end up completely out in left field. Compromising doctrine, compromising your Bible, compromising every other thing. And they, the, no, no, we're not going to compromise anything. Within five years they had people that were apostates on the, uh, leading their missions programs in their, and they completely changed. You wouldn't even recognize it uh, as the Baptist church anymore today. Why? Because you become who you spend time with. I need encouraging relationships, and I need to build relationships for accountability's sake. Real relationships within the body hold us accountable. Will relationships look and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you, but if you continue down this path, you're not going to like where it leads you. Oh, how do you know? Blah, blah, because I'm 54 years old, and I've lived and I've seen Don't be so quick to dismiss the 70 and 80 year old members of the church. You ought to be best friends with them. Because they have a lifetime of wisdom to offer you. And they go through life feeling like they've got nothing left to give and to offer. And they're the ones that are great untapped resources of encouragement. And accountability. Why? They just want to hold me back. They don't want to hold you back. They want to protect you from making the same mistakes and having the same handicaps that they have. They want to love you. They want to help lead you. Listen, we have the body of Christ to be a part of, to hold us accountable, that we might live lives that are godly for our Savior, that we might, as verse 1 says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. Build relationships for accountability's sake. Thirdly, I would say this, build relationships that you can go to war with. You ask Most of our veterans that actually went to combat in Afghanistan or Iraq and now that we've abandoned all that we set out to do, and they would say, why was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it for the brother beside me. We were there for each other. What I'm saying this morning is you need to build relationships within your life that you can go to war with. Why? I need to be a prayer partner, a prayer warrior. I need prayer warriors in my life. I need people that when I've got a great need, I know when I call them that their prayer is not going to ring hollow in heaven. Amen. Hey, it's a great thing whenever somebody says, hey, can we send out a text and say everybody pray? Yeah, but you're probably just as effective if you just had two or three people that you knew could get a hold of heaven and called them and said, would you pray? Why? Because a lot of people in churches are just going through the motions of prayer. They have no real power with God. They have no real connection or understanding of what prayer is. I'm not trying to be unkind this morning. I'm just trying to put out there in truth what the, the reality of what the, most of our Christian lives lack substance. Do I have somebody that I can call and say, hey, uh, I've got this diagnosis from the doctor. I have this child making this decision. I have this grandchild going down this path. I have this person that was involved in an accident. I have this life that's hanging in the balance. Would you go to God in prayer and know that when that person goes to God in prayer, that God's not going to have to say, hey, who are you again? But they have power. Be a prayer warrior. I don't I need prayer warriors in my life as you do. We need to be striving together for the sake of the gospel, as Philippians chapter one and verse 27 says. Listen, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna make a great difference for God, and I'm gonna just hey, Pastor, you know, the, the church can do what it wants, but I'm gonna go do it my way. You're not gonna accomplish much. Why? Because that's not God's way. God's way is for us to do it together. God's way is for us to come together and strive together for the sake of the gospel. To make an impact, to make a difference. Thirdly, I would say that it's to make sacrifices for one another. You want to be a real brother or sister in Christ? You want to be a meaningful Christian? You want to have a relationship with someone that's impactful and that's encouraging and that's admonishing? Sacrifice for them. Greater love hath no man than this and a man lay down his life for his friends, Jesus said. Will I sacrifice for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Will I sacrifice for the work of God? Will I sacrifice my time? Will I sacrifice my... We have so many people in our churches that are so... Uh, that, that they've got every excuse in the world why they can just take and bury their talent and their abilities that God has given them rather than to use them to the edification and to the glory of God. Uh, that, that, that we could accomplish so much more if we just come down off of our, of our self-righteous high horse and say, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to do what I'm not comfortable doing because it's what God has gifted me to do. <clears throat> Make sacrifices for one another. Ministry takes sacrifice. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice. Sharing the gospel requires sacrifice. Going to God in prayer and having power requires sacrifice. Would I be the kind of Christian, would I be the member of the body, jointly formed together, that can sacrifice for the glory of God? We considered this morning that we need to be engulfed in a personal relationship with Jesus. That we need to be embraced by personal relationships with other believers. And then lastly this morning, quickly, we need to be engaged in personal redemptive relationships. A per, be engaged in personal redemptive relationships. Relationships. Again, Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 compels us to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Notice in verse 1 in our text, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering for bearing one another, putting up with one another. And love. What have we been called to? Well 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 he said but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak and not as pleasing men but God that trieth our hearts. We have put put it, we have been placed in trust of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our, it is in our hands, it is in our hearts, it is in our lives my relationships that are engulfed with Christ that are guided by my relationship with Jesus must be redemptive. In other words, my relationship with a lost person is solely for the purpose of bringing them to, the, to Christ. I'm not building a relationship with my neighbor so that they can draw me into what they're interested in. I'll, I'll be interested in what they're interested in. I've got a guy that lives up the road from me that's restoring a 1973 Toyota Celica. My very first car that I ever bought with my own money was a 1979 Toyota Celica. He's from Puerto Rico, my wife's from Puerto Rico. When we moved into the neighborhood, he had, uh, he had uh, uh, Jehovah Witnesses coming in and doing Bible studies all the time. I see him out in the neighborhood on a pretty regular basis and we always uh, chat just for a minute and I'm, uh, I've already got plans whenever certain things come into season, I've learned where I can get them in the Houston area that are from the island that you can't get anywhere else that I can get and take them just as a, as a, as a way to reach out and try to open a line of communication to share the gospel. We have different ones, we had a Coast Guard recruiter drop by and drop off a bunch of Coast Guard things. I have a guy that lives on the cul-de-sac that's attached to our cul-de-sac. Uh, if that makes sense to you, uh, he lives all the way down at the end. And uh, and uh, the guy dropped this stuff off and wanted to leave it, and so I distributed some of it to some kids that were around and uh, and the really nice things like a embroidered backpack and some T-shirts and things like that. I I just remember one time I was out walking and jogging in the neighborhood and uh, and he was che- walking with his wife and checking the mail and he saw that I had on a T shirt that said something about the Marine Corps on it. And he said, hey, you served in the Marines. And I said, yeah, it's you. Because uh, usually that's, that's the, the interchange. And he said, no. Now, he said, I was in the Coast Guard. And that was two or three years before. But I remember that. I went and knocked on his door. And I said, hey, didn't you tell me one time that you were in the Coast Guard? How in the world do you remember that? Now I remember his name. He don't remember my name. That's okay. It's an opportunity. What I'm simply saying is, is it build redemptive relationships. I don't want to say this about redemptive relationships. A redemptive relationship is a relationship that is developed for the purpose of bringing the lost to Christ, or for bringing the backslidden to restoration. When it fails, when that door closes, that's the end of the relationship. I'm not saying that I won't be kind. I'm not saying that I won't invest. I'm not saying that I won't wait if the God changes our heart to but it, I'm not going to commit a lot of time there. Why? Because I don't want to be drawn away. I would say this. If you become like them to reach them, or you, become, you are becoming like them to reach them, you are not redeeming them. They are redeeming you. We have people in our church that oh, I'm engaged, pastor, in this great redeeming, this great redemptive relationship. And the only person that's been redeemed is that girl back to her old way. Redemptive relationship is not a relationship with a lost person for the sake of having a relationship with a lost person. It's a relationship that is, that is focused and that is dedicated and that is, that, is, uh, that is engaged in prayer to see that person trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or someone that's strayed away from God, restored and brought to them that they might find grace and power in the Lord Jesus Christ again. Two thoughts about this this morning will be done. Relationships that are redemptive must be genuine. I would say all relationships must be and should be genuine. An ungenuine relationship is worthless. My relationship with Jesus is not genuine. It's worthless. Oh, it has value to me because he's going to do what he said he would do. But my life for him becomes worthless. Uh, Genuine relationships have meaning. Artificial relationships ring hollow. I don't want to be engaged and a lot of non-genuine relationships. Life is too short, and the capacity for real relationships is too limited. Be genuine. And the second thing that I would say is that relationships must be grace-guided. The grace of God must guide us. Isn't it good that we saw just a little while ago that in our relationship with the Savior that he is our guide? Let him guide us. My love, my compassion, my outreach, my inreach within the church should be guided by the grace of God and my faith in him. And then I would say this by way of closing tonight or this morning relationships don't just happen, relationships don't happen by accident. You know, 37 years ago, when I was just a freshman in Bible college, I was walking into the dining hall, and I saw this cute little Puerto Rican girl. And it's not like there was any shortage of cute little Puerto Rican girls running around there. But there was one in particular that caught my attention. And she, she worked sometimes in the serving line, and, and then at our dining facility at that time, there were ice stations. There weren't ice machines everywhere. So she had to go load a cart with ice and push it all the way across to the different stations and continually be filling the the stations up. And that was her job. And then, ministry-wise, we worked in the same vicinity. I just had my eye on her. I thought, I want to get to know that girl. And then, one day we met in the hallway. And she wasn't even that interested, truth be told. I like to tell a big embellished story about how she had her friend push her out in front of me, so that I could say, so that she could meet me. But truth is, she just got shoved by a friend because they were being silly and goofy, and I happened to be walking by and about ran her over. She was coming around the corner, but that started a relationship. And she she tried. I mean, she was she was really not that interested for quite a while, and and it, it took a lot of persistence on my part. And then she probably, even to this day, would say, man, did I blow it. <laughs> but nearly 40 years later, here we still are. Amen. What I'm saying is this, that relationship didn't happen by accident. My relationship as a pastor of Victory Baptist Church didn't happen by accident. When God laid in my heart to go from one ministry to another, I had no idea where I was going. I've n- never even encouraged anybody to leave a ministry that way. I just knew that's what God told me to do, and so I, I did it. And I, I really wasn't sure how things were going. I didn't send out a lot of resumes—about half a dozen or so, maybe, maybe a couple more. One day, I'm driving across East Tennessee or West Tennessee on Interstate 40, coming into Jackson, and getting ready to pull into a rest area, and the phone rings, and it's Brother Phil. Ten years ago, this summer. Here we are. That, that didn't happen by accident. There was prayer. There was an effort made. And I'm just saying this morning as we conclude, if you want to have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen by accident. If you want to have a real relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ that's meaningful, that's powerful, that gets you through the dark days of your Christian life, that keep you on track whenever your flesh starts to lead you down an unhealthy path, helps you start, that encourages you to establish unhealthy relationships, it's not gonna, they're not going to happen by accident. And if you want to have relationships with people that are out in the world that you work with or that are your neighbors or that, are, that you're casual friends with and you want to see them trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that redemptive relationship is not going to happen by accident. It happens because you understand the value and you make the effort and when God revives you, and when God renews you, and when you engage in his word, and you engage in relationship building, then you position yourself to be in a, in a place where God's empowerment on your life can produce, can promote, and can generate foundational and radical change in the lives of others around you. Not because of you, but because of the Jesus that's working through you. I don't want to just go out and Hang things on people's doors and have casual, meaningless conversations. Hey, listen, when God opens a door, jump on it. We have a duty to do and we'll do it. But I'm saying, have a real relationship with Jesus. Have real relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And have real relationships with people that need Jesus. Because relationships are why he came in the first place.